thank you for tuning in to Lounge Talk, a podcast where I invite people to talk about the things that they love. I am your host, Charlie Eden. On this episode, a friend of mine, Madeline Cohn, is joining me to talk about one of her favorite bands, Fish. We're going to talk about what it's like going to one of their concerts, what it's like listening to their music, and why their fan base is so special. We're talking about all of that and more. Let's do it. Welcome to the first episode of Lounge Talk. Our first guest, it's her birthday today. It is. It is Madeline Cohn from Philadelphia. That's me. Why don't you introduce us to the topic that you chose for this episode? Sure. So, I'm talking about my favorite band. Um, it's called Fish, the PH. Um, I'm sure your parents know about them because that's sort of how I know about it. I'm the youngest of seven, so all my siblings, they're really way older than me, and they were really into it back in the 90s when it was really popular, and I've kind of kept the tradition going. Nice, nice. So I have not heard of Fish until you told me that you wanted to talk about Fish. So I did a little, I did a little research, I guess. Mm-hmm. I watched a little bit of a documentary that they put out about the okay. festival that they did in 2003. Curveball? It, actually. It, okay. And I have to say a few things that I realized right off the bat that I liked. One, I liked that they're all dressed like normal people on stage. Except for one of them. The drummer was wearing the tank top. That, that's on my head, though. Right. That's my problem. <laughs> nice, nice. The drummer was wearing a tank top. The, the lead singer, it seemed he, he was wearing normal clothing. Mm-hmm. The hair, oh, and the hair. I was a big fan of their hair. Mm-hmm. And just their music style. They were playing long songs. A lot of times, no words. Yep. And... Felt improv. Yeah, that's kind of their style, to just jam out. Yeah, they're a jam band. That's, like, what they do. Also, the tank top, it's a dress. Ooh. Um, and for, like, different shows, it'll be, like, different colors. But it's, like, he's always got it. Um, it's called, like, the Mushroom Donut. And it's, like, very uh, popular. Yeah, I love it. Like, they're improving. Like, they're, they're, they're jamming. They're a jam band. Like, Grateful Dead, Goose, like, Pigeons, like different bands like that um and sometimes it doesn't sound good because they're making it up um but most of the time it's like a really special awesome experience because like they work together like so and like read each other's minds and they also like read the vibes of the crowd so the whole point is to go live like to see them live because like you're part of a like something that only exists in that moment um so yeah they have a few studio albums that like are just like songs but those, like, you, they're easier to listen to, but it doesn't capture, like, the, the vibe. And then listening to recorded shows, you have to get really into it. It's not like background music. Right. I've never heard of a band or artist before whose major focus is to create new music mm-hmm. live in front of their audience. Yep. Most of the time, you'll have artists tour with albums that they just mm-hmm. recorded in their studio. And I think it's a cool concept. And they... So they've started to do concerts again now... I don't know if they're still doing it with COVID, but I read that they do an annual one in Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. the four days leading up to New Year's. So as a New Yorker, I feel like that's something I, I have to try out at some yes. point. Have you ever been to a concert of theirs? Um, yes, I went to the New Year's run um, two years ago, like before COVID. And then they were on summer tour. And the whole like, so because they're making it up every time, it's always different. It's a thing to like go on tour. Like this is a tradition like the Grateful Dead and, and all of that. So this summer I went to four shows. Um, I went to Nashville with my brother and we couldn't get in because they were like very, it was a very small show, but we hung out in the lot and like 
it's outdoor, so we heard everything, and, like, that was a vibe. And then I did two nights at Hershey Park, like, day after, two after each other. And then a few days later, I went to Atlantic City, and they played on the beach. Nice. So when you were in Nashville, was there a big crowd in the lot as well? Oh, yeah. So it's called The Shakedown, because um, this is the culture of the Grateful Dead. So there's a Grateful Dead song, Shakedown Street, and that shows all the people who are on tour, the way that they make money is they sell, like, mostly, like, weed and, like, drugs-related stuff, but also, like, swag and, like, um... They set up, like, a whole party. You're saying the artists themselves sell the drugs? No, no, no. People who are on tour, oh, like, okay. following the band. Right. They'll, like, have, like, the whole, like, VW, like, piece, well, those RVs. People just go around the country following these bands. That's, like, the tradition. And they'll sell stuff on lots, like, make money. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's, like, a whole party. Nice, nice. So, the, so each of those four concerts, you're saying that every time the music was completely different? Yeah. So they, it's not, like, totally, they have songs that, like, they will play. And they'll have, you'll be able to, like, identify what song they're playing, but then there'll be, like, a five-minute thing where they're just, like, going nuts, and, like, they'll blend songs together in different ways. They'll do covers of songs, like, um, yeah, yeah. So when they're, when they're doing this, this run of music that's kind of improvised on the spot, mm-hmm. when you're at these different concerts, do they sound similar, or is it exciting because every time they really try to make it as new as possible? So, I mean, they have, like, hundreds and hundreds of songs. I've heard songs at multiple shows. Um, but like only like, there's only a few songs I've heard multiple times, right. but people go to like 500 shows like in their life. Like it's really, it's a thing to go live. Uh-huh. And I, so I told you I was watching this documentary mm-hmm. and it's about a festival they did called it. Mm-hmm. And I was looking into it and it turns out they've done, they've hosted a bunch of their own festivals yeah. and they take, they take these crowds and crowds of people mm-hmm. out to random locations yep. and people sleep in tents at the concert site. Yeah. And then they just wake up in the morning and jam with fish. With fish. Yeah, they had one called Curveball a few years ago that everyone got there, and then the state of New York shut it down. And there's like a lot of conspiracy about it. Like they just were like didn't like like the the people who were there. But they had this whole thing about, like water and dysentery. But they sent everyone back, and like all these people were homeless in the mountains of New York. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Something else that I thought was interesting, which I guess is kind of a classic movie trope mm-hmm. the way that the band started mm-hmm. with a wanted ad and four kids at university of vermont yeah i like that i think it's yeah. kind of cool to to have a band play off what i like what i just said the movie trope and then become this successful yeah they're trey he's the the main guy right he wrote his like thesis at uva was called the man who stepped into yesterday which was this like really wacky like story mythology thing and so their earlier songs are like based off of that. And so they'll be about the characters that are in that thing, but then, then it extended it. Right, right. I heard, I read a story also about them in that time when they would do mostly concerts on campus and mm-hmm. maybe off campus in the area that they wanted to perform at this club and they weren't big enough. Mm-hmm. So the guy wouldn't hire them. So they instead just rented out the whole club and sold their own tickets and sold out the entire the entire crowd. Yeah, I believe it. And that's that's a good a good s- metaphor is the wrong word, but that's basically how their how their career trajectory has gone. Yeah. People, in terms of their fanhood. People lose their it's like I don't know. Something like so my friend Nistar, she's the best. She's great. Her whole family is also related to jam bands. Her mom is like really, really, really funky. And she's like really into jam bands. And like at fish shows, she'll come in her shaitel and her tichel and her like full tie-dye regalia and like totally lose her shit like in the front row this like jewish mom 
And, like, I think she deeply believes that she has a personal relationship with this band. And, like, at this point, they probably do know who she is, honestly. Um, but it's, like, a little bit much, you know? In a way that kind of makes you think of, like, okay, at what point is, like, your obsession with something, like, weird? Because to these people, they're like, I'm just a normal person. Why are these people freaking out? Because, um, like, you'll go to these shows and, like, people are insane. Yeah. yeah. It's like a cult following yeah. in, a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So something we... We spoke about before when we were talking about what we're going to talk about this episode was their ticket sales, mm-hmm. which is another interesting point I want to bring up. So some stuff that I read was that Fish has sold tickets to tours and concerts through a lottery system to prevent scalpers from getting yeah. on the getting on the dot, like getting tickets mm-hmm. right off the off the bat and then flipping them for yeah. big profits. Yeah. So you can yeah you can only get two I think. And, oh wow. Um, in the lottery, but yeah, then there are some normal ticket sales I think. And then people do resell, and like based on a, if it's a small venue, like tickets will get crazy expensive. Has fish has fish openly spoken out against these scalpers more than just the way they sell the tickets? I don't know. I'm not sure, but like, there's just it's like a value to like not rip off people. Like there's this group of fish chicks. It's like a it's like a, it's like a women at fish thing because it's like all white dudes at fish. So like the girls kind of like stick together. But the ladies, women, whatever. Um, and so on this group, people will be buying and selling tickets and like, it's just very much known, like, don't be an ass or like you will be kicked out. Like there's no patience for that. Yeah. Yeah. So something about this ticket thing, and this is honestly with scalping in general, mm-hmm. that's similar to art, the contemporary art world is that there's, bec- there's become this big secondary market mm-hmm. in which the artists themselves don't make any profit off of the secondary market mm-hmm. because if I'm buying a ticket, mm-hmm. if I'm buying a fish ticket, if I win the lottery and I buy it for, let's say, 70 bucks, mm-hmm. I flip, I turn to you and you don't have one, so I sell it to you for 200 yeah. I've made $130 profit, but none of that is going to fish. Yeah. So with, with events, with these giant scalping mm-hmm. cultures, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's interesting that there's kind of, there feels to me like there would be some sort of mutual disdain towards the scalpers from the fans who are annoyed that they now have to pay double the price for a ticket because because someone who had no intention of going to the concert was able to get on their computer first and an artist who is not gaining any not gaining profit or or it's possible that the 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 scalper doesn't sell the ticket and now there's an empty seat at the concert and now the artist is also losing out from that culture happening yeah i mean it's like I don't know, I don't know these people, obviously, but, like, the vibes that they are given is just, like, nice, good vibes, and, like, I don't really think it's about the money. They have this thing called the Waterwheel Foundation that, like, um, whatever city they're playing in, they'll donate, like, a big chunk of the money to, like, a local cause, um, and they'll, like, encourage people to donate, and so, yeah, like, it's it's not, like, a gross, like, about the money thing. Like, it's very much about the music. Well, right. I like to think, obviously, right, right. everything's about money, but right. I don't know. I like to think that it's not. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So... You obviously were not listening to Fish's music in 2002 when they decided to take their break. Yeah. But yeah, you know, have, your, dude, you, you got have, into your, have your parents ever talked to you? You said your parents were huge fans. Have they no, ever talked to you? My oh, brothers. Your brother, sorry. Yeah. Have your brothers ever talked to you about what it felt like for that break to happen and what it felt like for them to come back and then break up another time and then come back again? I'm very impressed you know about this. Thank you. I mean, we've never talked about that, like, super explicitly because only my, like, older, older brothers were, like, in it at that time. Um, there was also, like, a lot of ups and downs with their music before they went on the break. 
like there was a time when their music was just bad because like Trey was just like super like the heroin. I don't know. There's a whole thing. Um, but no, but I imagine it would have been just like really sad. I also think a lot of people rediscovered Fish during the break and then were like so depressed that I don't know that that's out. Like that's kind of how I felt during COVID of like I got super, I went to the garden right. and then that was December and then March, I was like super inspired. And then like March, 2020, I was like, damn, I'm not. <laughs> and then we're going to Israel and I was like, yo, this is so sad. So when they announced summer tour, I was like, I need to do, I need to do everything. You need to do a little touring with them. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was awesome. So I would say the only experience that I have with an artist that I really like cutting off their music, I guess, is one of my favorite artists. It's it's a group, Brockhampton, yeah. and they've announced that their last album will likely be their last. Well, their, their next album will likely yeah. be their last. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm like trying to mentally prepare for that. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. So like you said, I, I imagine it was pretty sad for the people, especially if you've got a culture the way that they do, which is much yeah. different. It seems to be much different mm-hmm. than the culture that other bands have around their music. Yeah, I mean, but dude, like, Mac Miller, like, he died, like, um, I, we were, what, freshmen when he died in high school? Yeah. So, like, I, like, knew his songs, but I only really started getting into him, like, after he was already dead. Right. And it was like, yo, this is, this sucks, you know? Like, like there was so much more coming. It's, it's really, I don't know, it's really hard. It, it makes you appreciate, like, um... Like, yeah, all music is music, but, like, there's some people. Like, there's something special about this stuff that they create. Uh-huh. And, like, in, in a way that can't be re- replaced or, or reproduced. And right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this isn't, like, related to Fish, but um, I think it's kind of interesting that, like, the way that the culture around music, especially more mainstream stuff, like, with, like, Mac, it's what pushes them to kill themselves. Like, they're expected to keep on producing and producing and producing. And so, like, on the one hand, like, obviously the culture of, like, just, like, you, your worth is in what you create. But also, like... We expect these people to have all these emotional experiences on our behalf. And it's like, yeah, no wonder, like, they need to dig deep into these, like, horrible places to produce the stuff that we need for our own, I don't know, our own feelings. Uh-huh. Um, and then it's like, yeah, no wonder these people get super depressed and right. then right. kill themselves. So I was not a big Juice World fan. Yeah. I don't listen to his music still. However, something interesting about his his music career mm-hmm. and he eventually killed himself as well or over, died, he overdosed yeah. um is that he he often spoke about because he was a teenager in mm-hmm. his music what it was like to be an emotional teenager and mm-hmm. then you have all these teenagers fall, who fall in love with him yeah. and they like that he's talking about all these things so like you said he ends up living that those emotions for mm-hmm millions and millions of teenagers who want him to keep digging into this emotion yeah. and then it becomes too strong and it sends them yeah. off the deep end really? right well that's kind of why fish took a break mm-hmm. similar that like they felt that this pressure to do what they mm-hmm. were doing was too much for them yeah so have they ever spoke about why they ended up coming back um i think trey got sober and then um like yeah i think that's primarily it yeah. i i don't know so much about the history like i haven't really like, looked into that as much but that's what i'm pretty sure that's what the suggest right right so something about their music interesting that you're mentioning trey uh he was addicted to heroin you said I'm pretty sure for a little bit and then he got sober and they came back is that their music they one of the genres that they mm-hmm. that they blend is mm-hmm. psychedelic rock mm-hmm. so the classic example is the beatles uh magical mystery tour mm-hmm. and uh sergeant pepper's lonely club heart band I 
butchered that name. Lonely Heart Fan Club. Yeah, I butchered that name. Point being that after the Beatles started using psychedelics, they found this new style of rock Mm -hmm. that they were really into. And I'm curious if you feel like the music may have changed since 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 um Trey got sober and then they got back together. Interesting. I mean the music, the whole um like culture is like you can't separate like drugs from like like there's a few people like who will go to shows who are like sober for like, their own reasons, but like every like it, a part of like the experience is just like is, everyone is, there is, is drugs. Yeah, yeah, like um like everyone's up like smoking obviously but like um yeah, like, like, liter- literally, I, I can't, like, exaggerate enough. Like, I can't, like, how uh, ubiquitous it is. It's like my friend, like, she's been going to shows since she was a kid. And so, like, all of us, when we were in middle school, we were, like, talking about drugs. She was just like, dude, like, I saw, seen someone, like, over, like, she's seen someone overdose, you know, when she was, like, 11. Like, yeah. that's, um, that's and crazy. that's, like, a sad, that's, like, a sad part of it, obviously. But I think even after, like, getting sober and stuff, like, the culture is one of just, like, Oh, totally drugs. That's interesting. I wonder, I don't know. I haven't myself noticed, but I'm not like a musical analysis person. Right. I imagine me not, me not. something more, someone more like, um, I don't know, perceptive. Right. Someone who knows music theory yeah. better and knows the genres better. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on to the first episode. Happy birthday again. Thank you. And I look forward to continuing this podcast. Hopefully maybe you'll come on again in the future to talk about something else. Of course.